How do you do, fellow adults? Once again, I am Alex Adams. And I'm Paul Page. And we are here for our very first inaugural Buddy Buddy Cast. cast. Yeah, that's right. Everything that you want to hear, or maybe not, I guess we'll find out in the long run, uh, about our opinions on various types of games. But we're here today to talk about a very important subject. What is that subject, Paul? Yeah, we're going to do an in-depth discussion of the Pathfinder system and the D&D 5e system. Exactly. We're going to talk about what our favorite game system is and why it's Pathfinder, because let's be honest, it is the best. Um, We'll be talking about both of them back-to-back, kind of from start to finish. Uh, A lot of people, I would say, Paul, ask us, uh, when we talk about the systems we play, because we've played in a couple different systems, we play all kinds of board games, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, they they ask us why we pick Pathfinder, um, and more often than not, uh, our reasoning behind it tends to be uh, surface level because it's tough to tell someone in an elevator pitch, say exactly, yeah. You what? get in an elevator with somebody, you have 20 yeah. seconds. Like, what do you tell them? <laughs> yeah, but, You're describing uh, D&D and Pathfinder. There's no way to you, you roll accurately dice. It's more complicated. Exactly. It's, 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 <laughs> it's not easy, um, <laughs> certainly, uh, from the top. But we're, we're going to kind of take it level by level, what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we think we love about it. And also, to be honest, though we love Pathfinder, there are some great things in 5e that we also want to highlight at the same time. Yeah, there are lots of aspects of 5e that we prefer to Pathfinder. And, you know, if there were, you know, a perfect amalgamation of the things that we like between both systems, then it would be the ultimate tabletop system for us. But, you know, we we like both in each of their respective reasons. But, you know, we, we just prefer Pathfinder as a whole over 5e. And we're going to try to take uh, an objective view and discuss what we like and don't like about each system here. And we're going to break it down by a bunch of different topics and just kind of roll through it. Yeah. And, and like any good tabletop system, we'll start at the very top. The tippy tip top. Before you even purchase the dice, we are going to start with character creation. Yep. Because honestly, the barrier to entry sometimes when you talk to somebody, especially me as a GM, perhaps Paul, you experienced this in your past as a GM. You ask someone to to create a character, they sit down and they're like, "All right, what do I do?" And yeah, it can be a chore. It, it can, can definitely be a chore, and especially with the Pathfinder system, it is more of a chore than Five E. Five E's character creation system is a little bit more streamlined. Uh, there's less factors you have to take it's into sleek, consideration. Certainly. Yeah, it's sleek. It's you know, sexy. Um, but there's there's parts of it that you can kind of roll through fairly quickly and get to playing pretty fast. But with Pathfinder, like, you need to really sit down and put a lot of time into it beforehand and really experience and explore all the different aspects of the Pathfinder character creation because it gets pretty in-depth. And, like, even the first couple characters that I had created still missed pieces of it. Yeah. I mean, it's we've gone back complex. over and it's pretty complex. Yeah. And had to like retcon some of the stuff that's happened. Uh, we'll, we'll go over some of the, the similarities that you come across for stuff. The, the hit point system, the HP system in both is identical, yeah. uh, more or less, uh, with some nuances in Pathfinder that may take it up when it comes to favorite class bonuses and all that. But the, the hit points are the same. It, it's a very well balanced system. Usually when you're fighting against people, it, it's something you very rarely run up against or have problems with yeah it seems like a pretty standard thing across a lot of tabletop systems is the the type of hp progression between 
NPCs and even like monsters and NPCs. Like it's, it's a very structured system and it's also a very like finicky system. So if you tweak it in any way, like it could scale out of control in one way or the other, but it is a balanced system and it's a balanced way of doing it. So we think both 5e and Pathfinder do a really good job of keeping that consistent uh, as far as the, the health points go. Yeah, which is great. But, I mean, at this point, we can also get people a little more of an inside line into what we're doing. So, I mean, we mentioned a little bit in the intro podcast what we do different, why we do it differently, and all that good stuff. One of the very first things that we've changed, though we think the hit point systems are fairly balanced, is how hit points are distributed from the jump. So, normally, you get all your hit points up front with your con bonus. Haven't changed that. That's great. Perfect. But... As you level up, you run into something that can kind of stop you. Yeah. So, for example, barbarians have a D12 as their hit dice. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be the upfront beefy meat shield that's taking the the brunt of the damage. But you know, when you hit level two, you roll your hit dice. You get a one. You <laughs> you feel fucked. I have <laughs> like, I have 16 hit points. <laughs> exactly. And then you're like, okay, I'll make up for it. Hopefully, level three. You roll level three. You get a two or something like (laughs) you it's just devastating yeah and and there have been plenty of stories of people in campaigns where you know just because of the roll of the dice on the hit dice when leveling up by the time you hit like level four or five like you might have a really lucky wizard that rolled fives and sixes on his hit dice every single time and your barb rolled ones and twos and your wizard has more hit points than your barbarian does and and it's a very uh, you know tricky thing to try to overcome or compensate for because you know, being the frontline fighter, if you get that really, those really unlucky rolls, it could be extremely detrimental to the the entire party, to the campaign. No, it's so. true. And I mean, we all love the story of the beefy wizard and the, the stick thin <laughs> barbarian. That's why we play this exactly. game. The paper barbarian anti-tropes. and the beefcake we, wizard. We absolutely love anti-tropes. You zig, we zag. That's what we're doing. Our barbarian, for instance, only has eight points of hit and that's what you'll have the entire campaign no but (laughs) what we do is we counter roll so i roll and then the player rolls and the player takes the higher now this does have some caveats the caveats is if we roll the same uh the player can choose to either go with the roll or they can choose to re-roll which prevents us from getting into situations where you and i both roll a one One, yeah you both roll a two it's not great it it helps with the balance of uh, the characters as they progress because the way the game is built is assuming an overall average of your health points. Yeah. And but no one takes those averages. We like to roll dice. That's why we're playing this <laughs> exactly. game. You we don't roll sit dice. there and, and, and stand for averages. Like I don't think I want that 7 HP. I want that 12. That juicy, yeah. juicy gonna, 12. I'm going to roll that die and I'm going to try to get that 12. And then I'm going to be upset <laughs> when it is a 2. I'm going to be very angry until the next level. And then Which I might apt. end up being even more angry when I roll a 2 again. Perfect. But that's some great role play built into the barbarian. Exactly. As you slowly just that, descend. That innate rage that just <laughs> really gets away from you. I, I really prefer the method acting part of yeah, the barbarian. Right? Paul's really seemed upset the last couple <laughs> rounds. Yeah, he's just really into his character. Also, he has, again, 12 hit points. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that you can play with both systems that we both really like. The next big thing that comes to 
the character creation side is the class abilities between the two systems. And again, just like with HP, you actually don't see a lot of differences. There are nuances that are built in, but again, a paladin is a paladin. A monk is a monk. You see a lot of translation between the two systems where they have similar enough abilities to where, like, if you want to play that class here, you want to play that class there, you're going to really encapsulate what they are doing, why they are doing it, and what you love about it. Yeah, you really get down to the the meat and potatoes of what, you, what yeah. each class is, especially for the base classes. I mean, obviously, Pathfinder with their occult classes and advanced classes and, and stuff like that. classes. They, they really start to get into a lot of interesting hybrid characters that uh, Wizards of the Coast and 5e don't really dive deep into. Yep. Um, outside the base classes in the uh, original player's handbook. But, you know, there's a lot of really good built-in just background into what each class is at its core, and especially between the base classes, like, that's pretty consistent. So I mean, let's let's, let's call a a rock a rock at this point. And and the thing is, when you look at stuff, uh, Paizo originally made Pathfinder around the 3.5 system and 3.5 system then upgraded into the 4 and then the 5e system and the reason that these things stood the test of time is because what people likes that's why they're there it's what they're around and, and that's why we play the game honestly it's what makes things so much fun but at the same time you you see these similarities and you're like all right that's fine that 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 means nothing between the two classes between the two systems then we get into the next most important thing, I think. And that comes, I think, skill ranks. Because yeah. the differences between skill ranks tends to be a little bit of a night and day situation, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely. Uh, when you create a character in 5e, you, depending on your class and your race and your background that you pick, you get a certain set number of skills that you can put points into to become proficient in. And once you set that at character creation, there's no way to change that. And there's no way to gain additional points outside of leveling up primary stats. And then outside of getting a higher proficiency, which just comes naturally as you level across all characters. I mean, I'd actually argue with you that you don't get any skill ranks in those things. I mean, you can choose. I'm trying to think, and I can't really think of any way outside of character creation that you get ranks in something. Yeah, you get to choose certain things. So you you choose your background in 5e, and that background helps to further elucidate some of your class skills, say, and that class skill then adds your proficiency. But outside of that choosing of where your proficiency is, like, delineated, that's basically it. And then you have to wait until you get a 3 in proficiency, until you get a 4 in proficiency, until you get that. When that comes at... Like, you know, you have a plus two to proficiency at first level and then a plus three at fifth level and then a plus four at ninth Ninth level. level, So it's every four levels you get an extra plus one to proficiency, but that only helps the skills you are proficient in. That doesn't help everything else. And then when you reach, I think it's fourth level, eighth level, and every four levels from there, you can add two skill skill points, or not skill points, uh, ability points to an ability which can get you that extra plus one modifier yeah but you have the very harsh choice of picking that versus a skill feat in D D. and sometimes you might want a feat but it's hard to give up those 
ability points. It's really difficult to give up those ability it's points. It's tough. And it's something that, that though 5e is a great system and, it, and it's a great for initial players that, that we will touch on again and again in this podcast. It's just that 5e has the problem of this feeling of stagnancy. When you're doing something, when you want to change, it comes at this very, very slow drip rate. Yeah. And you can't do much about it. But in Pathfinder, your skills are a completely separate system. Your class accrues a number of skills plus your intelligence modifier or minus in some regards. and But that helps to elucidate what you're doing. It helps to show you where you want to be and what you want to do. On top of that, with the initial brunt of first, second, third level, uh, you also, whenever you add a skill point to a class skill, you get an additional bump. So you get immediately so much better at something yes essentially what that proficiency bonus is in 5e you have that same sort of thing in pathfinder mm -hmm. but it's called a class skill as is being proficient in it in 5e that plus three bump and whatever class you pick in pathfinder they have a list of class skills and whenever you put a skill rank into that skill you get an immediate additional plus three to that skill the, only so, the first time, mine, but yeah. Only, only the first time, yeah. So it's definitely, it, it's something that I focus on heavily when I create characters and when I move into leveling them up is I do whatever I can to place my skill ranks into class skills so that I can take advantage of that plus three bonus because that's substantial. I mean, you get one point from the skill rank itself and then whatever your modifier is, you know, if you're creating a new character and you happen to have like a plus 18 stat and a plus two to like a racial bonus, you can get like a, up to a plus five. And then if it's a You can fucking class, see through walls. Exactly. You got like a plus four wisdom, plus one, plus that's a plus eight. Your GM's like roll perception. You're like, yeah. that's a 20. Nailed it. Seven. What the fuck do I see? It's like, you, you see, don't even know. You see time and motherfucking space. Also, there's a small box on that shelf. But besides that, it was still surprising. I, exactly. I, I I wholeheartedly agree, and and it and it scales pretty quickly, and it and it makes it a little more fun. Granted, that causes the scaling to slow down as you go up, but but I feel a lot of the things that are inherent in initial character creation is some of the cool stuff, some of the cool powers happen later, and so it's nice to be able to pad out the beginning of the game with getting new knowledges, getting new skills, getting yeah. better at stuff, right? And then yeah. eventually you can cut a guy in half. 14 times uh and then i assume serve their body to their enemies <laughs> i don't know i i don't understand entirely where i'm going with that one but uh it is still makes it a lot more fun it makes it a lot more intriguing yeah it makes leveling up uh have a little bit more oomph to it you know like yeah. you it's not just you're getting a little bit of this uh you know you're you're not you're not just getting maybe like you know, in the, in the lower levels, like, you might not get any spell level increase. Like, yep. you might not get any new spell slots. You might not get a s ability score increase. You know, like, there could be very bland level ups in the 5e system. But in Pathfinder, usually every level comes with something exciting. And, and skill you know ranks, you get that every single level. Yep. But on top of that, like, the feats that you get on... Every odd level, all the class abilities that you get, like it, it, it feels a lot more grandiose in yeah. Pathfinder than it does for Five E, and the the scaling curve for Five E feels 
a little flat compared a little to flat. compared to Pathfinder. So. I would say so. And on top of that, you, you want to talk about feeling maybe less empowered between levels. You know what really helps pad out those between level level ups? What is that? That's that's mythic rules, and uh, that's <laughs> yeah. why we're playing with it because nothing feels better than that Final Fantasy VII moment of hearing that song chime around, and you get to come out, and suddenly, for some reason, you can build twelve guns at the same time. Now we don't have any gunslingers, but if we did, you know, twelve guns at the same time. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But it's it's truly trying to fill in those gaps for for player engagement, and that's not to say that the players that we have around the table that are playing with us aren't there and aren't there to enjoy it. But at the same time. You want people to have fun. Let's let's do everything we can. Yeah, you sure everyone's having fun. You don't want to reserve the fun to just level ups, and then when people get the level ups, to not feel like empowered from it. You know. Yeah. And there's definitely certain levels in Five E where it's just like, oh, like, you know, this level, like if you're a level three paladin, it's like you don't really get much of anything because everything Enjoy came lay at level hands. two. Yeah, Enjoy laying Everything hands. came at level two or level four. And yeah. it's like you level up between that and it's just like, well, okay, like I guess I'll roll for hit points. And so how do you feel about the overall uh, point cap that happens in 5e then? Yeah, so when you create a character in 5e, the system limits you to 16 points. 16 points in a single stat. And then with racial and, bonuses? And yeah, so whether you're using a uh, point by system or you're rolling for stats, I, I don't even know how that'd work if you're rolling for stats. I don't think you can, can roll, roll for stats in Yeah, 5e. I don't think you can. I think yeah. it's just all point by system. Yeah. And so the most you can buy into an ability score is up to 16, and then the highest you can get to is an 18 with racial bonuses. But then D&D 5e limits a score to a maximum of 20 no matter what yeah so when you hit level four like let's say you put 16 points into strength on your barbarian and then you take a you know a race that gives you another plus two to strength so you're at 18 you hit level four you bump that up to 20 that's as high as you're ever going to go in strength and and even if you're playing a fighter class where like you get feats far more often and those feats can always be switched for improvements for your uh, stats and stuff I mean, if I start, like you said, with a plus 18, I get to 20. That's it. Yeah. I'm there. You're, yep, you're there. Now, I mean, very charismatically. Yeah, when you hit level 8, then you can maybe put that in con to get a little beefier. Yeah. Or you can get a feat if you want. Yeah. But having, f- to, having to pick between an ability score increase and a feat every four levels is a pretty drastic comparison. And... It's tough. It's tough because honestly, it's a yeah. It's a tough choice. Like, and when you look at the feeds, even between the two the programs, the feeds in Five E, in my opinion, and this is again solely my opinion, they feel very lackluster. I mean, there are some good ones. Don't get me wrong. Like the alertness feat that exists in Five E gives you a lot of great bumps. But at the same time, like some of the feats are like now you can wear heavy armor. But yeah, but they're very specific to they are specific classes and whether it is really good for that class or not. And it's like, there's certain classes where feats just don't really do much. And you would much rather value that ability score increase. Now I want someone to fuck up my day with feats. I want to like come into the shop and be like, what, what are your feats? And someone's like, this yeah. and then you just sit dr- down. They just sit down. What are you a fighter? <laughs> blam, 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 blam. Like it, it's exciting because uh, I mean, to put it in the words of my wife, it, it feels a little bit like, you know, catalog shopping like you look at all these like amazing options and you don't feel that you're missing out 
as much as there's so much that you can do. Yeah. I feel like in 5e all too often, it is tough to justify taking a feat when taking a stat bump is that much better. Well, yeah, and the feats can be situational too. Yeah. And the stat bump is a static thing. So like you take more to dexterity, your AC goes up, your initiative goes up. That's a huge bump in everything you do combat wise. And especially if you're a dex based class, like that is massive. Yeah. But a lot of the feats are situational and you know, you may use them, you may not use them, but when you do use them, it's kind of just like, it's nice. Thanks. Thumbs up. But they're, they just don't feel, they don't feel worth it to me to sacrifice that ability score for those feats. And before anyone yells at us, we understand that in Pathfinder, you cannot swap feats for stat bumps. We know there's a delineation between yes. the two, but uh, at the same time, just feats in Pathfinder are, are pretty great. Now there are some limitations. Perhaps we'll get into those a little later. But on top of that, it it just feels a little better. Yeah. Now there are some things that are worth noting. So in D and D, you have backgrounds, and backgrounds give you certain bumps. And in Pathfinder, the alternate is the traits. Yeah. So backgrounds tend to be. I'm not going to say one note because you can build out your character to encompass that background to make you feel fully fledged and completely encompassing. But then traits can be, take from, be taken from uh, a number of backgrounds, be it your where you're from, who you are, what you believe, all these like really cool things, or per our campaign yeah. as a mandatory. From the campaign itself. So, yeah, yeah. What so you the, have to do. The traits are very specific in where they allow you to take them. So you have combat feats, you have racial feats, you have campaign feats. And you usually get two when you create a character. And once you pick those two, that's all you get. But it's the equivalent of the background in 5e. But there's a little bit more flexibility with them, yeah. especially when it comes to story aspects. Because if you take campaign feats, it really helps solidify your character's background in that adventure path. And especially with Wrath of the Righteous that we're going to be running uh, in our actual play section of this podcast, it turns into like a pretty incredible bump. And it's one of the few adventure paths that actually requires you to spend one of your two traits to take a campaign trait from the Wrath of the Righteous campaign, which is not mandatory in, I, I want to say, any of the other ones. I mean, yeah. But I haven't we really... We've ri- thumbed through them all. <laughs> we, so. We've thumbed through a couple at the very least. Like we, yeah. we played Shattered Star. Like we played, uh, not played at least the very like read into like Reigns of Winter things like that. And yeah. they don't mandate these things now. As a GM that exists in the world, any good GM is is trying to do an extra layer of GMing, and that's taking the characters around the table and folding them into the story. Being a party to the story is one thing. Being a part of the story is a whole different aspect. And I, I constantly work to take the backgrounds that I make my players write uh, almost sadistically. Uh, and I read all of them. I mean, I've had players like give me eight page backgrounds about their gnome rogues. I have read it page to page because people being passionate is something I get really excited about. But, but taking those stories can be tough to fold in sometimes getting a AP an AP, excuse me, like, Wrath of the Righteous that has some built-in aspects and built-in hooks already is super exciting because I yeah. can help build into the world your stories to an extra level. I'm going to work extra hard to make sure your backgrounds are also built in there, but innately, 
there are events that exist that you get to be a part of, that you are attributed to. And yeah. that's awesome. And that's just not limited to Wrath of the Righteous. Like yeah, yeah. you can do it for any anything, any of the yeah. campaigns and you know, it it's also kind of the mark of a good GM too, is to really engross the PCs into the storyline and by pulling in their backstories is the best way to do that. Especially yeah. because that's something that they spent time and invested emotion into and that that's the best way to do it. Yeah. So no, it's 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 completely important. But that that I guess that that forgoes a lot of the the hoity toity up top skills and feet stuff that that Paul and I get pretty passionate about because when you play this game enough, you realize that this minutia, though it seems overly litigious and you have to take some time doing it, it, it really is fun. But we'll go back into what people really have come here for, what people really want to do. You know what that is, Paul? What is that? That's combat. Combat. Because I feel between the two systems, that's going to be people come to play people come to role play but people come to play come to play combat yeah right definitely and so i guess at the very top the difference the biggest difference between the two is going to be the action economy and and there's there's a lot attributed to the simplicity of the action economy that exists for 5e because you get a couple things you get a standard action you get a move action you get a reaction action and you also get a bonus action so you get all of those and all those four and you can use them as you'd like reactions tend to be used outside of your combat outside of your round but but those three and it it's easy because when you read rules when you read spells they tell you what you're doing why you're doing it when you're doing it yeah they're very cut and dry with the action economy and what you can and can't do in 5e there doesn't seem to be a lot of gray area for it yeah and and that's nice, and it definitely streamlines combat quite a bit. Um, but in Pathfinder, it's a little bit more complex. Yeah. And even though you have the same sort of standard action eco- economy with a move action and a standard action, you also have a swift action, you have an immediate action, and then you have free actions. Mm. And free actions are generally limited to just like verbal things, talking to your party, you know, cussing out the bbg you know doing whatever you can you stand there (laughs) as a giant demon (laughs) being a giant demon and we're gonna mess your shit up was that a good role play it wasn't it wasn't yeah it was terrible (laughs) but yeah so uh so those free actions are generally limited to kind of speaking to your party speaking to the uh you know if you share a common language with the enemy whatever you can Talk to them, but it also allows you to roll like knowledge checks to see if you recall any information about what type of creature it is, weaknesses, strengths, what you should avoid doing or not doing. And thus we come to, I would say, our first big gripe with 5e as a system. Yeah. So in 5e, if you want to do these things, if you want to look at something real hard and figure out what it is, you have to take your entire standard action to do so. So your character, outside of maybe running somewhere for his move action, sits down, hunkers down, and thinks real, real hard if they know what a werewolf is. Yeah, for those six seconds that take place in a round, have I ever they're seen focusing somebody? really, really fucking hard <laughs> on, have I seen this before? Do I know what it does? They're like, to, to spend your entire standard action to roll a knowledge check on if you recognize a creature or something is a, 
I don't know. Just it 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 doesn't make sense in reality. And I don't know. I walked past a subway once, and it took me like fourteen seconds to realize I knew what a subway was. Yeah. But I walk past the subway. I'm like, oh, eat fresh, and I keep walking. All right. So clearly, I'm built on five E, and you're built on Pathfinder. (laughs) But uh, no, you're right. And and. It's that was such a terrible analogy. It was. It was. <laughs> Subway is the most prolific fast food chain in the world, even above McDonald's. Fun fact. Wow. Uh, but but brought to you by we're Subway. Here, yeah, we're here to educate you. <laughs> uh, we. But it's it is a little frustrating because like your friends are being stabbed, they're being cursed, they're being thrown into pits, and you're like, hmm, hmm. is that a demon? Have I seen this guy before? Do I know what he does? And then you roll, and you if you roll like a, a, a two, yeah. yeah, you don't know. Yeah. And so your your character spent the entire time going, hmm. Scratching his head, being like, you know what? I haven't seen this before. Let's carry on with combat. And then your best friend, the half-orc paladin, got run through Just got whilst crit. you were yeah. thinking about stuff, and he's wow. sitting there bleeding. It's, it's one of the- It's clunky. It's, it's clunky. That's, it's a very clunky way to use knowledge- type skills in 5e well these entire systems are built around immersion and i believe immersion is the biggest thing that you can be doing and things that break immersion and and there's things in both systems that break immersion uh should always be rallied against because i want to be in my pretendo sphere patent pending uh and (laughs) figure out like you know what would my character do and if i have to break from that to like I guess pull out a book and then check the R references for really mean bug. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like it's, I am an adventurer. I have come across this giant centipede before I know a giant centipede where I would see him. And it, and, and it makes it clunky, yeah. makes it chunky, makes it all those. But in reality, things you, don't want. you can move your body and do stuff. You can run, you can, swing a sword you can do whatever you were doing and think at the same time yeah whenever it makes sense that you can do those things simultaneously when i am writing academic papers i often am swinging a sword i'm just saying left hand on the keyboard right hand on the long sword <laughs> swinging a sword yeah and being yelled at for being <laughs> very very reckless Dangerous inside my campus. own home yeah. exactly campus home whatever <laughs> i mean in camp it's my office they can come or go if they that's please fair. that's fair it's uh, personal space <laughs> <laughs> but that's 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 the thing, and it is something that we don't like. Now, the action economy, I think we both agree, the, the streamlineness of the 5e action comedy is great. And so let's let's pull it back a little, I guess, to some of the other things that happen, to the conditions, and to the conditions as, as how they affect you, I think would might be a good way to go. Yeah, the, the Pathfinder system has, I think, more of an extensive list of conditions. More gray area, you'd say. Yeah, so, so there, I, I think there's more conditions that you can come under in Pathfinder than you can in 5e, and those conditions actually have different kind of scales of how they affect you, and it's... In 5e, it's one way or the other. So you you get one condition that's beneficial to you. You have advantage. You roll two d20s, take the better of the two results. And then the other token, the other side of that token, is you have disadvantage. You roll two d20s and take the lesser of those two rolls. And that is how D&D does all of their conditions. And with Pathfinder, there's more of a gray area that really 
takes into account what the condition is actually doing to your character. So like in, in 5e, like being blinded and being poisoned both give you disadvantage. But it's like, but why? Why why do those both give you the same results in disadvantage? When one's more significant than one, the other. Yeah, one f- could feel more significant than the other. So, uh, you know, Pathfinder really breaks out what each condition does and creates kind of ailments and negative modifiers that are really based off of that condition. No, and I, and I wholly agree. And the thing is, so it comes down to to accessibility again. So 5e is a very accessible game format. And specifically, and I think this is something that is often not spoken to because oftentimes people think about D&D and they think about being the player. And honestly, both are, as a PC side of things, are fairly accessible. Granted, there's a little more clunkiness in the Pathfinder side, but between the DM sides, the 5e side towards the pathfinder side like it's easier to start as a 5e dm and that's not to say that amazing dms out there that that have their own stories working in the background have their own rules working in the background aren't spending just as much time as anybody doing things but if you want to go bare bones rules is written 5e has a lot more things where you can just go one way or the other yeah and pathfinder like I said before, it has a lot more gray area. Like, you know, you the DM has to do a lot of background stuff and hold his players to it. And that's tough. It is tough. It comes with experience. It comes with exposure. But, you know, I, I like it. Well, it comes with the system, too, it especially. Does, 100%. 100%. And, and though I like it, others may not, especially when you're starting out. And I am here, and Paul is here, as a constant advocate of people just getting into tabletop role-playing games. And if you're familiar with one or want to do one, we think you should. We just think that at some point in time, you're going to turn and be like, you're going to want more. You're going to be, you're gonna you're gonna be Ariel in a cave full <laughs> of all kinds of things, singing to the top of her lungs about how you just want more. And we just think Pathfinder can give you more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're new to tabletops, 5e is a wonderful system. And it is a very good foot in the door like experiencing the role play and the fantastical side of what everything 5e Pathfinder other tabletops have to offer. It's it's a wonderful. I mean, Wizards of the Coast has spent decades, decades. perfecting and and even though they've kind of missed the mark on a few editions like fourth Four edition. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they they kind of tailor things as they see fit and yeah. And so, I mean, and even on the player side, when you're talking about one thing or the other, uh, the resting system is more forgiving because, I mean, the, the, the trope of players being paper thin at first level, it's not a trope. It's, it's just the case. When you can be yeah, crit you by go a unconscious goblin, a lot, a lot. <laughs> at first level. And being able to take those short rests is awesome. And yeah. it helps to fill in those gaps because it's tough to justify to your GM after hanging out in a cave for two hours that you actually need to rest for an eight hour rest yeah it's like no you you got up it is it is 10 a.m you're gonna do something else (laughs) yeah but i have no spell slots i know you have no spell slots yeah well yeah and that's a big difference between 5e and pathfinder and something that pathfinder you know pathfinder has been around for almost 15 ish years maybe a little more a little less something like that at least but it's something that they have 
sort of changed between their their 1E, Pathfinder 1E, and their Pathfinder 2E is their resting system. And in 1E, there's no short rest. You either hunker down for eight hours, get all your spells back, do all that stuff, and, like, you're good to go, or you possibly risk the chance of, like, running out of spells, not being able to heal, and, like, muscling through the day because at 10 a.m., four party members went unconscious, and that fifth one just happened to kill that last goblin, and then he stabilized everybody, and it's like, well... It's also 10 a.m., and we're not going to take an eight-hour long rest. Nothing so. says everyone's having fun like a TBK. That's all I'm going to say. It's just, it's inclusive. Is that a GM thing? Because yeah, as a player. It is It is not. <laughs> no. No <laughs> No one wants a TBK. Here, here's no here's a hot a tip from, from one GM to another. If you are about TBKs, then you're doing this for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's about everybody having fun, and no one has fun. <laughs> like, when a TBK happens, honestly, you should feel terrible. Because yeah. either everyone's luck went to absolute crap and for whatever reason your luck went to absolute amazing yeah, status in which case you should immediately go to a casino and just start that's right we're endorsing gambling all of your money away solely based <laughs> off of the results of a single i mean if you get a tpk it might help you feel better if you go gamble and drink a little. but at the same time i mean there's the old trouble of the gm screen saving your players you control yeah. the action if you have one person left with one hp like maybe your it's players clearly an encounter that they're not understanding because there's an invisible the like wizard in the corner just like i do love my invisible wizards crazy shit at yeah, you tune into our first party. episode where 14 invisible wizards show up and just bombard <laughs> oh. people with oh, no. fireball i mean glitter dust glitter dust glitter, glitter dust, dust. Yeah, enjoy enjoy casting that enough yeah. where it affects all, all those wizards, all of my wizards. <laughs> no, it's it is it is it is a boon to new players because yeah. it, it it gives you a little more control over the narrative, and we totally get that. Uh, but at the same time, there there are some things, especially specifically with magic, that uh, do kind of come into play, and the ACs that are brought into what we're talking about. Uh, for Pathfinder at the very least, help to delineate a little more of what's happening in the action economy. And we were talking about action economy before, and Paul mentioned uh, the short rest system kind of being fixed in 2E. You know what else is fixed in 2E? Action economy. Action economy. They've done a great job of helping to, to kind of divvy up what does what, why it does, and really balancing that system. And yeah. though we love 1E, uh, we do, uh, that 2E system, it, it harkens back to a little more of the accessibility people people are, are hoping for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely streamlines a little bit more of the, the action economy, mostly just in combat, but it also adds a couple things to, uh, you know, help bridge that gap between short resting or not short resting. Yeah. And, you know, that's something... You know, when we, we start getting more into 2E and start actually playing 2E campaigns, um, a lot of this is just very surface-level experience we've had with 2E. But we do know that it does correct some of those things with short resting, and uh, the action economy changes from having a, uh, a move action and a standard action to having three actions, and you can do whatever you want with those three actions. Mm, you can action. move three times. You can attack three times. But there's penalties for doing such. There so are. It's just and magic. It, if you require a couple of components, <clears throat> somatic, verbal, material, they're going to take up slots. Yeah. And so the more powerful the spell, the more yeah. Of their most most 
most of the spells have been reworked for the TUI edition of Pathfinder, where almost all spells take at a minimum two of your three actions to cast, if not all three of them to cast. And that's just based on the amount of components required to do so. And so verbal, somatic, or material, it's it's based off of that. So yeah, yeah, I if it's just a verbal spell, takes one slot. One slot. Verbal and somatic. Two slots. If verbal, you want to scream material. at someone so that they turn on like a light, yeah, that takes a single slot. I'll yell at your shield, and your shield is suddenly a light. Uh, I, I feel like it's somatic, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it, might but somatic. it might be somatic. It might be somatic because you have to touch <laughs> it. Ah, light. <laughs> but I think if I can build a class where I can scream at someone's head and their head <laughs> glows anew, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But that also helps lead us into some of the, the big differences outside of combat when it comes to magic. And so... The 1E system has a very interesting way of dealing with certain aspects, and they have layers to things. And and layers, though they add complexity, also add a great deal of reason. So often we talk about layers in regards to the actions people are taking, but there's actually a whole other layer to what's happening to the person that's having things happen to them. And that, yeah, and that that's what helps kind of break out the three types of armor class that you have in Pathfinder versus the single armor class you have in 5e yeah. so in 5e you just have one single ac or armor class and that just tells you did you get hit or not that's yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a melee weapon or if you are watching if yeah like if they get a sneak attack on you and you're not paying attention or if it's like a spell being cast on you Across Path, the board. Pathfinder does a really good job of breaking out those three armor classes. And it seems kind of daunting and complicated to people at the start. It, w- it was to me when I first started playing yeah. Pathfinder. But when you really understand what your flat-footed AC versus your normal AC versus your touch AC means, it starts to make a lot of sense. It's it's like a, it's a single sentence to describe each one, which is what makes it so great. It's... The flat-footed is they're unaware, yeah. so they don't have a dex bonus. That's it. Like you don't know what's going on, and someone cracks you on the back of the head with a big old sword. Yeah, and you you're can't like, use your your swiftness, your dexterity yeah. to try to avoid that attack. And then you have your normal AC, and your normal AC is someone's coming at you. Yeah, you you're ready. Your armor, you, you, yeah, you're your shield on your toes. up. You're just waiting for yeah. it, and you're good to go. And that one, like it, it feels whole hog and it feels exactly what it should be a person ready for battle but then the touch ac is someone's doing something to you where just because you're wearing a big motherfucking steel plate on your chest it doesn't mean anything yeah because they just transmuted magic into your body yeah they're casting burning hands or they're you know grabbing your wrist and casting shocking grasp Grasp, through your body it doesn't matter what kind of armor you're wearing or what shield you're holding that's just going to bypass that anyway. Yeah. So in 5e it's like okay, you know, you're you're hitting the same AC no matter what you're doing. So you're swinging a sword, you're shooting a bow and arrow, you're casting a spell. But in Pathfinder they really break that out. So there's a lot of spells in Pathfinder that tell you it's versus their touch AC yeah. which neglects shield bonuses and armor bonuses. And you know, that that's a beautiful thing cuz it helps with the realism of combat it just it makes sense though like paul said it is it is more complex at the top 
when you lay it out in front of you, it just it makes sense. It's like the gray areas of the just all the different conditions we yeah. were talking about. When you speak about it, when you speak to it, it it makes sense. It takes a little more forethought and it takes a little more, I don't know, understanding behind yeah. what's going on. But at the same time, it it just feels a little more like how the world would react to something. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, if you're you're reading through the cool rule book and you're reading the rules as written and you're seeing like these formulas where it's 10 plus dexterity modifier plus size modifier plus natural armor plus dodge bonus plus shield bonus plus armor bonus it's like that can be really daunting but then when you actually (laughs) math is daunting (laughs) that's why we have a bunch we have four engineers on this goddamn podcast uh but yeah like when you read those like formulas and you're trying to memorize like okay these formulas blah blah blah. but when you really think about like the core concept of them they start to make sense it's like you know if you're caught flat-footed you're caught unaware you're not gonna have your like your dexterity your swiftness about you and so if you're flat-footed that's what you lose being flat-footed if you are under the effects of a touch attack doesn't matter what armor you're wearing or what shield you're carrying yeah like that's that's how the spell is going to affect you just so, like with actual math once you figure it out it's actually really good and it all <laughs> makes a lot of sense yeah once it clicks it feels good it feels good I, but that does bring me to another aside i appreciate how they have on the defensive side there's these reactive acs to one degree or the other but those reactive acs help to fill in a bit of a gap and the gap is the spell casting modifier as it exists in pathfinder because when you tack somebody when you throw something at somebody it's still strength it's still dexterity which makes it a little tough because in 5e everything you do involving magic always involves that main stat like a barbarian is strong like a rogue is, de- is dexterous uh you want a druid to be wise you want a wizard to be intelligent you want a sorcerer to be charismatic and it's a little tougher because you have to make sure you allocate those points as a spellcaster and that's a little tough because in 5e if you're just a charismatic sorcerer great you're crushing yeah, yeah. but when you pull out your short sword if someone closes the gap on you you're not going to do much to them because you're swinging with your strength. That's fine. Or if you pull out your bow and you're shooting your bow and your dex is crap. Yeah. Which, again, though though it might be seen as a little bit of a negative, uh, and, and in some regards it is, it does require you to make sure your character is a little more well-rounded. Yeah. It makes it... It makes it a little bit more difficult for certain classes, especially mostly, mostly the casters, to like really have like a dump stat or... Um, any kind of stat where you just really don't need to be doing anything. Yeah, I mean, anything. like Barbarian, it's like strength and con. Like, get as high with those two as you can. And, you can and maybe, maybe dexterity. Dummy. Yeah, and then maybe dexterity because you want a little bit armor, cl- little bit higher armor class and a little bit higher initiative. But, like, those other three, like wisdom, intelligence, charisma, you don't care. I eat rocks. <laughs> exactly. Me no good talk people. <laughs> yeah. Like, all the things that people often go. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. But having better well-balanced characters is a little more of the game in pathfinder yeah. i would say like those tropes exist and those tropes are fun I'm, i would never ever doubt anyone for being what they're doing because honestly sometimes it's nice when someone's really getting into the rp and they decide <laughs> that their character is so dumb Just, they do that yeah and then like you're like 
I applaud you because they know they shouldn't be doing it. They know they shouldn't just be like <laughs> ripping the necklace off of a dead body in a coffin. Yeah. But it happens. And then it makes things a little more fun because metagaming happens. But, yeah. But avoiding metagaming is always oh, it's a little more fun. Encouraged. Encouraged. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, metagaming is a whole nother topic. And tune it, in to BuddyCast 34 well, for Well, because, like, you know your character might not know this, but, like, you as a player might be super cautious. Yeah. And it's, like, it's hard to really draw that line of, yeah. am I really going to put my character in danger? Especially with more experienced players. Like, yeah. anyone who's played oh, on the GM side of the so screen, hard. you have the, the burden of knowledge. Yeah. And, like, you see something and you know that that vampire has weakness to running water. He has weakness to sunlight. But... You, your character doesn't know that, but then you have those tools. It's like, what do you do? It's it's tough to avoid, and, and anyone who avoids those things should be applauded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, get, you, you do your best. and But the, the main thing that Alex and I, our, our main rule is just the rule of fun. Rule of fun. And, you know, whatever you can do in combat to be creative, out, outside of combat to be creative, to have fun with it so much the better yeah, and if it sounds cool and tell we'll do me. yeah and we'll do well he'll do as the gm <laughs> whatever he can to facilitate yeah, you, do, you do plenty to make my world <laughs> a nightmare I promise yeah so like he does whatever he can to facilitate that fun for the group and that that's what we're all here for is to have fun so yeah and i mean speaking to the fun there's a there's an aspect of pathfinder that exists that it can be really fun which are the metamagic feats that exist now it it, it adds this additional layer to when you were playing a true spellcaster you feel like if only because you have to do all the studying yourself <laughs> yeah. like you have truly gone through the training and like you can make hungry pits you can like cast mage armor on on yourself and others you can extend an aura of life bubble like you feel like someone who is an all-powerful magic wheeler and wielder excuse me and that's amazing but at the same time it can cause this feeling of overwhelmed person i guess yeah that but exists that people like they look at and they go oh i can't do that but you know what the great thing about pathfinder is paul yeah those metamagic feats they just they add like another layer of complexity yeah i was gonna, I was gonna say fantasticalness yeah. but that is not, not a, a word. word no that's not a word but, <laughs> but like Everyone's here for like the fantasy side of things, like magic, like that that feels good to people. And yeah. playing a spellcaster, like you get that the, those pieces of it. But then when you start to take some of these meta magic feats, where you can start like amplifying what some of those spells do, and like really, really getting cranking into exactly cranking it up into what you can do as a pure spellcaster, it gets pretty incredible. But then. If you look at it and it all seems far too daunting, you know what you do with that? You don't have to fucking do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to (laughs) fucking do it. That's the great thing about Pathfinder is like, yes, there are lots of rules. There are lots of books for like advanced classes. Like if you listen to our intro, we talk about there's advanced classes, advanced races, uh, like the inner sea guide. There's like all these multitude, like advanced equipment, advanced magic. And if you you want to do it. You can incorporate that into your campaigns. But if you don't, you don't have to. Then don't. You don't have to. You don't have to. But yeah, like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, what we 
are trying to do with this and what we mentioned in the intro is like we're just taking everything paizo has to offer and making like this ultimate campaign out of it and we're we're excited about that that's our bread and butter you guys don't have to be excited about that you guys don't even have to play pathfinder um you know that's just our preference but yeah and honestly the whole reason that we're here is because we just think that there's especially with pathfinder in general there's just so much potential for fun and on top of that the complexity of it the meta magic feats is complex they also give you a wealth of spells that you can use 5e i won't actually detract though they have a smaller number of spells they have a lot of good spells yeah pathfinder has so but there's many a, yeah, there's a lot of classic spells between the two I between mean, the like, two yeah yeah magic missile and that's like the nice all, thing all those classics but pathfinder like it gets pretty daunting especially when you start looking at like the schools of magic and you're looking at conjuration abjuration abjuration, and necromancy and like all of those things and like divination yeah so there's a lot a lot of spells like if you just google like first level spells in pathfinder it is no it's way more. well that's fair i guess per class (laughs) there's like 20 or so but if if you're looking at like all first level spells across all schools of magic like all first level spells, I, I would say there's probably like 150 to 200 different spells. Yeah, I mean, and it's it could be pretty daunting, but like, but like that's if you're just looking at a global perspective of spells. So, yeah. you know, you want to look at what your character is able to cast. So if you know if you're a cleric or druid, a druid, like you, wizard, they, they each have their own spell oracle. Lists. And you Witch. should really focus in. I'm sorry, I'm breaking concentration by saying a bunch <laughs> of different should, classes. You, you should really Paladin. focus in on what your spells are for Bard. the class you are wanting to play. Skull. Because there are different. Mesmerist. Spell lists. There's a lot of classes. I'm sorry. For each class. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but Paul and I agree when it comes to spells that there's a, there's a litany of them. There is one spell that we are so grateful for in Pathfinder. Oh, it boy. Is, it is a. It's so simple, uh, but it changes the entire the dynamic of your trip. Yeah, it is the best cantrip that any spellcaster can take. What is that spell, Paul? It is detect magic. In five e, detect magic exists. It does. It exists. But as it well exists, it should. As well it should. As well it should. But it exists as a first, first level spell slot. Yeah, a first level spell to detect magic, like especially as a magic user. Those spell slots are so juicy. Yeah, they're. It's a that's a really small finite resource and to waste it on detect magic when you are a knowledged spellcaster just it feels bad it and does. especially if it amounts to nothing and that's another problem with is this we, book magical no it's not thanks for wasting thanks. that spell slot <laughs> yeah go ahead and cross that yeah go you know, yeah check just, that spell slot off yeah no you're done right there yeah. you're done. Don't heal don't heal your party member. <laughs> yeah. Because you you, you don't you don't magic. know. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. But yeah, so that that's that's kind of one of our biggest gripes with uh you know, magic, especially with detect magic is you know, that that feels like it should be like an innate thing that you can do it should. as a cantrip or an orison like you can do in Pathfinder. But in five E, you know, it's a very precious spell slot and especially like at first level you know, a lot of like true spellcasters may only have three or four spell slots total. That's all you got. And if you're using it for detect magic and it turns out to be nothing, like that feels like a really big wasted spell slot. But that again speaks, I guess, to the different conditions that you see in both the games because the games and the flow of magic and the flow of magic items that exists 
is honestly very different. It is very different. I am a big believer in magic items. I think it's fun. I think it's great. It causes this like kind of slow incremental increase that you see in characters. You get a plus one here, a plus one yeah. there. Yeah, it's not the big milestone of a level up. Say. Of level ups. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just what's the next thing we have looking that we're looking forward to? Oh, we're leveling up. Okay. Uh well we just leveled up last session, so okay, it'll be a while. Uh let's just trudge through this shit it can make a mundane encounter that much more exciting exactly you 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 find some cool piece of magic gear or even like a small trove of it 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 makes a massive difference to like coming from a you know a mainly pc like it it makes a big difference to your mentality like you're excited you're like hey we see this like crazy encounter coming up and it's just like in the back of your mind you're like what kind of cool shit are we gonna get from this guy and that's what's cool because honestly like things seem mundane at first you face a giant snake in a cave and it's not a big deal then bam plus one natural armor bonus and then everyone is vying rolling clawing for this thing and at first it didn't seem like a big deal and it makes everything a little more important everything a little more exciting and that's what i like about pathfinder because there's a lot of literature on 5e that exists a lot of opinions that exist out there about the flow of magical items in games and most people agree that the flow of magical items in 5e games should be less should be less yeah in 5e games yeah they should have less magical items and it it doesn't feel great to me yeah it it feels like normal people doing normal things and they might find something special here or there it just it it doesn't breed that fantastical side of things that and we're all here like to be fantastic yeah like man. we're jumping into that imagination sphere or whatever you called it earlier patent pending i don't remember <laughs> magisphere that's a good question <laughs> yeah but but yeah like we're all here to you know play fantasy like you know right if and, i'm a 300 year old elf i don't want to be told that i can't have like a speaking bow that enables like lightning strikes every single time I yeah, every time it. you draw the drawstring back like yeah. a a magical bolt appears like yeah. that's you know. awesome and yeah. that's what i want yeah. and and some people want to play a little more to to the more realistic side maybe the more low fantasy side and that's cool too i mean like i love lord of the rings and by all technical standpoints lord of the rings is pretty, pretty low, low fantasy yeah. yeah it's like there's like one magical item and it makes you invisible (laughs) like but then crazy invisible creatures come after you yeah well they're not invisible they're actually ring raids and i'll get into the deep lore of how they existed as the soul tuned for buddy (laughs) cast lord of the rings it's mostly just me talking to paul about my reading of the samarillion (laughs) and how the different wizards that exist are much more important than you might think they are regardless <laughs> but that that world can be so much fun and yeah. and i don't take away from it but but i'm a guy that sits down and and i really do want to like put on shoes that make you fly yeah and that sounds cool i mean yeah like you get to go from level one to level three in D D. maybe get an a, a magic item or two maybe possibly probably, probably if you're lucky not. yeah if you're one, really you're lucky, lucky in like a high fantasy type setting Depends on the adventure path you're playing, yep, of course. Yep, yep, yep. But in like Pathfinder, like you find magical stuff all the time. All like, the time. By the time you hit level three, like there's like rings of protection floating around. There's a uh, cloak of resistance. There's and you're like, why does this cockroach armor. have a plus one ring of protection <laughs> and exactly. three cloaks of resistances? Yeah. That, that's obviously 
general a, oversimplification, yeah, a, but it it's fun. Gross exaggeration. Uh, we'll see <laughs> when you come across all those cockroaches. Uh, but it you're gonna is, be paranoid now. Every time you see a cockroach, I'm gonna be like, Ugh, search it. Yeah, I'm just gonna give you filth <laughs> fever instead uh, <laughs> to teach you a lesson about searching Shit. cockroaches. No, but it is fun, and it gives you again. Uh, while we're playing the mythic rules, is because those incremental changes, watching yeah. your character change, getting to feel your character change, is amazing it's not yeah it's not waiting for the next big milestone to happen for you to feel that like that surge of excitement it's every encounter there's that chance every everything you do in game can result in you finding something amazing or you know the battles you go through yeah it's like honestly awesome and and it speaks a little bit to what kind of game you want to play. Yeah. And the games that you want to play as you're playing them, um, uh, it depends on the GM. I play Pathfinder one way. And honestly, if I come across a DM that plays 5e very similarly, you might think that a lot of my gripes are disingenuous or at the very least far-reaching because you've experienced what I'm putting out there. And that's great. But when the structures are really put down to the... I guess the fine toothed comb of scrutiny. What I like best about Pathfinder, especially on my side of the screen, is that when someone asks me a question, there's already an answer. Yeah. Because so often someone will ask me to do something and there is a rule that is already there. But in 5e, and it's again, to its credit, if you want to play this way, it has a lot of open endedness. Yeah. A lot of flexibility for GM discretion. Exactly. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. That's just preference. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot, like we mentioned earlier, we have a lot of engineers in this group. And having rules and stuff written is by far the best thing. You're a litigious that we can. group to say exactly. the least. Yeah. So, like, for us to be like, uh, no, actually, the rule for that is this. Like, you know, that's something that we prefer yeah and when you climb a rope when you're swimming when you're holding your breath when you want to steal venom off of a spider these things when people are being creative it seems as though it'd be counterintuitive for someone to assign rules to it but actually it makes that much easier when paul wants to do something crazy if i have some rules in front of me it makes it that much easier to interpret but making things out of whole cloth making complete fabrications out of what i think is fair in the moment that's tough. Well, yeah, and that can also create a lot of dissonance. Yeah, I would exactly. Say, between between, between the, the yeah. GM and its players. Like and that's a big big difference between Pathfinder and Five E is kind of that mentality. And it's like five E it does give the GM that flexibility to kind of move in and create create that vision mm-hmm. uh, as he sees fit. But, you know, if, if a player disagrees with that, then, like, that that's going to suck. Like, yeah. having, having to have that discussion after the fact, like, after a session where you're just like, hey, you know, I didn't really agree with your ruling, but because you're GM, like... It becomes a your you know, word against theirs. Yeah. And there's no good evidence to back it up and exactly and though there there are there are different descriptions in both the player's handbook and in the core rule book between the two there is a little bit of a different flavor between the two so i'm going to i'm going to read a passage here 
from the 5e player's handbook about how the GM should be approached. So this is from page six, uh, just above the using this book module. It says, your DM might set the campaign on one of these worlds or on one that he or she created. Because there is so much diversity among the worlds of D&D, you should check with your DM about any house rules that will affect your play of the game. Ultimately, the dungeon master is the authority on the campaign and its setting, even if the setting is a published world. And why don't you go ahead and read that, that one from the Pathfinder Crawl rulebook. Yeah, so while Alex has the 5e player's handbook in front of me, mm-hmm. I have the Pathfinder Cool rulebook in front of me. And here is what Paizo says is the most important rule for Pathfinder. The rules in this book are here to help you breathe life into your characters and the world they explore. While they are designed to make the game easy and exciting, you might find that some of them do not suit the style of play that your gaming group enjoys. Remember that these rules are yours. You can change them to fit your needs. Most game masters have a number of house rules they use in their games. The game master and players should always discuss any rules changes to make sure that everyone understands how the game will be played. Although the game master is the final arbiter of the rules, the Pathfinder RPG is a shared experience and all of these players should contribute their thoughts when the rules are in doubt. And I think it's the big difference between the arbiter and And the authority. authority. Yes. And granted, it's just diction is diction. And perhaps as any good nerd does, (laughs) we're reading far too into the descriptions. Impossible. But it's, uh, I think Pathfinder is built a little more around the player GM interaction. And then the, the, the PHB gives you a little more iron fist over what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the the D&D 5e player's handbook emphasizes, I think is probably the right word, yeah. the GM's discretion and like they said the authority of the GM as to how they want to rule their game. And for a system that has so much leeway. Yeah, like a lot of for its rules. a lot of there's a lot of black and white stuff which is great, but there's also a lot of gray area for stuff that they just don't define. Mm -hmm. And to say that the GM has authority over that feels a little harsh in in the power of the GM, and then the players are at his mercy for his interpretation of the rules. And you don't have to play that way, and, and many people don't. But at the same time, when, you know, cards are on the table and people have to use... Uh, evidence uh, they have to to be a little more no 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 it says it here yeah it 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 gives you a little more authority but pathfinder at least in my experience tends to be a little more it being a shared experience right and and even in those two passages we just read straight out of the D D 5e player's handbook and the pathfinder cool rule book we have one we have yeah for one e i i don't know what the two e core rule books. It's like two hundred pages longer. <laughs> yeah, it's massive. Um, but yeah, so it. I mean, just in the in that short paragraph between the two, like, there's a different like flavor and like, uh, I don't know, like a, a feeling behind it where it's like, it's it's more of like we're in this together in Pathfinder, and then for five e almost feels like. A, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it yeah, feels like, a little more. I don't want to say like dictator. Dic- yeah, I was gonna say dictatorship style. Yeah. Like it's. But again, but that's, that's to that's to HGM and their players true. and stuff. And no, and then you know, it's while we're kind of really hyper focusing on the word arbiter versus authority, to be arbitrary means <laughs> to be like neutral in how you are seeing, like, are, understanding, yeah, and interpreting. Exactly. You're you're taking your point of view. Well, if you're a true arbiter, you're taking two other people's point of view. Or you're an alien from neutral. the covenant that's come over to the side of the humans <laughs> to help fight against the greater evil in yeah. the known universe. Or if you played StarCraft. That's fair. <laughs> I haven't. I've only played the Halo series. <laughs> yeah. Forgive me for that. Um, but yeah, so like we're, we're obviously hyper-focusing on the difference between the word arbiter versus authority. Yeah. But, I mean, both of the rule books do say, like, the GM and the players need to sit down and discuss what rules they want to incorporate into their campaign. They do. And that is the ultimate thing that, you know, you can you can play a more rule-heavy version of 5e if you want to, like, which is what 3.5 was all about. Yeah. And that's what Pathfinder was originally built off of, was the 3.5 D&D system. So it's all, it's all great. And... The thing is, and I know we keep harping on what's going on between the two different sources, and the important thing between the two different sources is that simply, uh, though there are interpretations to be left up to, I think Paul would agree wholeheartedly that if the GM is being an iron-fisted asshat, yeah, I was gonna say an no asshole. One, no one's having fun. Yeah. I like asshat visuals better. <laughs> We're in an audio medium now. It's important to to really get that across. But there's there's more than just rules involved between the two systems because again, with the GMs, you got a good GM, you got a good GM, yeah, and, and that's awesome. But but the bare bones of the rules is great. But you know what's even better than that? The lore that lies behind it. Yeah, and Pathfinder has this amazing dense lore. And on top of that lore is the simple fact that all the APs are actually built into each other. Now, that could be said for 5e as well, but but every single iteration of the APs feeds in the next. Whatever happens in the past changes what happens in that one, which means your characters, if you're playing with a group that's longstanding, that stand in this world, they get to be a part of it, which means you can bring things back when people burning down the rune lords their names may be hearkened throughout the ages and so when you're fighting your way through corvosa to make sure that that crimson throne is left on lock maybe there's whispers of those past heroes that have done great things it is that awesome through line that gets to make your group feel like they're part of this living breathing world and that feeds into 2e even yeah yeah and you know that's it it's a big thing with a lot of fantasy in general is having that lore behind it and not just taking a a snip from this long timeline of whatever this world is but kind of using those threads of the story to tie each piece of it together and it that's what makes you know like great trilogies great movies great books all of that and pathfinder and Paizo have done a great job with making sure that they created this world that has a timeline and the adventure paths that they write all take place during certain parts of that timeline. So if you play an adventure path that's later on in the timeline, 
the stuff that happened previous shaped how everything's that happened. that adventure path is set and so from everything that we've seen with pathfinders they've they've done a really good job with creating that timeline and they've came out and said i think we talked about this in the intro a little bit where like all of the 2e systems that they're coming or 2e adventure paths are coming out with all take place after everything happened in 1e. So all the 1e adventure paths have already run their course in history and 2e is taking place after that fact. And that's that 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 establishes like a really good like timeline and history and lore of Galarian and what has happened throughout like that 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 timeline that world that, honestly that world it's literally like a world they've created no and it's great and i mean if you stick with us and if you're you're with us for this whole ride when hopefully you know if we decide to split off and do a two-e adventure i will eventually more than likely, yeah eventually that's harken to uh harken to these these heroes that we might see unfold yeah uh when woody eventually dies uh in the first <laughs> episode from rolling terribly i love him so dearly uh, but he's lord knows he's going to trip over and be crushed shit. by a boulder that wasn't there before uh it, it it'll be a story that will hold over you all hear about that lackluster adventurer that died immediately oh yes of course i remember i remember them um it's no it is it is fun but again these are our opinions. Yeah. Uh, we feel strongly about them, but at the same time, you all have your own opinions. Yeah. And that's not to say that 5e doesn't have that same type of lore and connection between each of their adventure paths. We just, like, with our experience and the research we've kind of done into it, it doesn't seem like there is a universe or a story, a longstanding story yeah. That and there might be that we don't know about that yeah. it extends all five editions of D and D and we're a bunch of like know nothing stupid millennials. People. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we are millennials. We are millennials, <laughs> but that I feel like that's become less of like a slight. Yeah, that uh, was, uh, but we we might we may be a bunch of know nothings and and if you you know think we're wrong, let us know. Yeah, and if you want to expand on anything we've said, you want to clarify anything, you want to discuss with us. We are definitely more than open to have that discussion with you guys. Um, we'll be linking our social media in this podcast, so yeah. be f- you know check that out and hit send, us up. Yeah, post, send us messages, and we'll do our best to respond and address everyone's questions and comments. We, I mean, the whole reason we love doing this is because we love like the discussion, the lore, the the fun of it. And we, you know, th- this isn't to detract anyone from any one system or the other this is just opinions. you know yeah it's opinions strong exactly. nerdy opinion <laughs> yeah so it's, it, it's our opinions in the matter and but talk to us reach out to us we're always happy to to be here but as always be good be kind and never stop adventuring exactly we'll see you guys next time bye